0: All right, friends, welcome back to the show. Today, it is my honor to be joined again, I believe for the third time, by Andy Crouch. How are you? It's my honor. This is so great. Doing great. Well, your daughter's not here today. <laughs> oh uh, no, so, way less fun. <laughs> well, you know, I just really love that like father-daughter stuff because I'm father of three daughters. And so I'm not saying I'm disappointed to talk to you, but I kind of <laughs> like the, you know, father-daughter thing going on. So I anyway. I totally get it. I'm going to be real honest. When, um... When I saw you had a book coming out, the first thing I felt was shame. Because I feel like whenever I talk to you, it's about technology, and I feel like I'm going to be shamed for how much I'm on my phone and how much I look at Netflix or something. And so like, I felt like, oh, great. Uh, get ready for some again. shame. Yeah. Like our favorite Luddite, Andy Crouch, is back on the podcast. <laughs> is, but, is, but you do know you just I hate love te-
1: technology. <laughs> I love technology. I'm such a geek in every way. I uh-huh. was I was coding before, probably before you were even a gleam in uh, anyone's Ten. eye.
0: First of all, thank you. I appreciate you making that assumption. Uh, I, I know that you're wrong about that, like you're just assuming incorrectly. How, how old are you, Andy? 54. Yeah, so you're 14 years older than me. I assume you weren't coding when you were when 14, were you? When I was
1: 12 years old, my dad took me to the computer center at Syracuse University where he was teaching, which had the computer <laughs> like oh. i literally the computer
0: okay now so, I, have, I have your whole backstory figured out so your dad syracuse takes you here he leaves you there ignores you doesn't talk to you so you develop this sort of like luddite true. anti-technology <laughs> thing it's all a response to your father <laughs> this is what it is like you hate technology because you're working out your daddy issues this is that is, it
1: no 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 this was where my love of tech started was uh <laughs> like all the the, I mean, way back then it was so primitive compared to what we do now, but, and I still love uh-huh. to code. I've taught myself Python recently, and, uh, you know, I, I still love all that. Uh, I just, I just have some questions, and I think we need some different ways of using it. I'm not against it. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll get it. Yeah, yeah. So here's the question Did you feel, in the last two books, did you feel guilt and shame at the end? Uh, the whole goal was not to have people feel that way.
0: Okay, so if Brene Brown's right, that shame is something that's wrong with me, and guilt is something wrong with what I did, yeah. uh, I feel like the TechWise family, or what are the titles? It's the TechWise... The TechWise
1: family was mine, and then Amy, my daughter's book, was my TechWise life. Okay. And so
0: mm-hmm. what I felt in those were like healthy corrections to remind hmm. me of the ways in which the powers and principalities of this age yeah. can corrupt my soul in small, subtle ways. Mm. And I felt like what you did with those books was very practical. And you took some of the stuff, um, that like many people have just, uh, what is his name? Uh, Sh- Cheryl, T- I think Sherry she endorsed Turkle. your book.
1: Sherry yeah. from MIT. So, Yeah.
0: Yeah. She's, she's written a lot of stuff about technology. Um, Oh, what is the guy? He had a big thing on, on Netflix. Um, used to work at like Facebook. Tristan um, Harris. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I feel like you took a lot of the wisdom of that and then as a person of faith, it you you blended it together really well. So I felt like those were very practical, helpful reminders of like the freedom that I can experience uh, as a Christian from the powers and principalities of this age. Mm. And I feel like this new book, it's like you're stepping back and it's, it's more like philosophical about what's going on. And for mm-hmm. me, it's like... I, like okay, I know I need to put my phone down at eight o'clock at night. I know I need to leave it. Like I know the, but this was like this is more like the, the, like the, the what's going on, and yeah. not so much like this is the yeah, how you do that's it. True. Is that fair?
1: That's exactly right. This is kind of stepping back to the bigger picture. I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And when I say. Uh, when I say I felt shame, like this obviously had nothing to do with you. It's just like, okay, I get it. Like that's a sore spot and you're like, you're pressing on it. Like a, like a massage therapist that's working through like an injury. It's like, oh, stop. Okay. Okay. I get it. I get it. There's a problem. Yes, indeed. Do people hate you though? Because you just tell them get off the phone and we don't want to ever do that? Well, there's a group of 10, 11,
1: and 12-year-olds <laughs> who definitely are going to remember me as the author of that red book, which the TechWise family was, that made their parents yeah. read, or made them read, that th- made their parents say, you can't get an iPhone yet, that kind of thing. Yes, there is a there is a cohort of 10- to 12-year-olds who hate, hate me. <laughs> but the grown-ups, I mean, generally... Actually, I think one of the interesting things about technology right now is every, everyone I've met is ambivalent. Um, there's not... That is, And, you know, ambivalent means you truly feel two different things. One is, gosh, this is really useful, sometimes really, you know, pleasing, pleasurable, enjoyable. But then on the other hand, something doesn't feel right. So, actually, other than the 10 to 12-year-olds, I don't feel like too many people um, really resent what I'm saying. But, but I, you know, it's a, it's a set of uncomfortable questions. Like, what are we actually implicated in? As yeah. Even as we have this conversation, how could we make this as good as it can be? Is there a level of good that it can't get better than that, and there's something better than that that we might be missing out on if we only stay in the technological frame? Those kind of questions are, you know, they're awkward, and some people are more inclined to uh, wonder about them and and entertain them
0: than, than other people. Is anyone really arguing that being on your phone a lot and staring at a screen a bunch is good for like no one's going to say oh mm. yeah no this is good for me I feel happier I have more joy and content is anyone actually arguing with the basic premise that this is not a neutral entity that's in our life? Mm.
1: Yes, uh, some I think some people would push back maybe not you know everyone would say oh you shouldn't be on your phone all the time and you know, everybody kind of senses that yeah but, but this deeper question which this new book is. You know, making a pretty strong case on one side. Um, you know, the 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 kind of uh, default responses. But hasn't this made our lives better overall? Like, we mm-hmm. have more um, people often turn to healthcare, which I actually agree is like maybe the single best use of technology. Clearly, healthcare yeah. outcomes in yeah. certain dimensions for mm-hmm. certain populations in our world are better than they were a hundred years ago. Uh, arguably, without. A certain kind of technology applied to agriculture. We couldn't feed the 7.5 or whatever it is billion human beings on the planet today. So there are some things like that that people point to and they're like, well, you can't be against that, but I'm not against that. (laughs) Uh, I am questioning whether everything that comes, even with those things, medical technology and food technology, whether that's as simply good as we think. Um, And then the closer it gets to the heart of what it is to be a person, the more risk we're taking, I think. Uh, yeah. So you know, and even then, people. Some people just resonate more with the critique, and others like, "Hey, I think it's pretty, fu- pretty much fine." And and then also, you meet people who have done very well for themselves <laughs> by uh, finding a, a niche in the technological ecosystem, and and for them and their their family and the people they're providing for, it's worked out really, really well. So yeah. I, I understand that, and and um, you know, I just want to see whether we all agree that on balance we are getting, you know, in the title of this book, are we getting the life we're looking for? And I think we aren't as much as we
0: sometimes are fooled into thinking we are. Yeah. I, I think everyone would say there's certain benefits from technology that are undeniably beneficial. Yeah, I think Medicine, so. Medicine, like you mentioned, that's a yeah. great one. This podcast is a great one. Uh, there's a lot of things that <laughs> right, we all go right, like, this Right is, up there with, yeah.
1: you know, uh, yeah. fending off heart disease. <laughs> yes, exactly.
0: Like It is one and the same. Um, you know my mother-law recently got a heart valve replacement surgery and like that doesn't happen. Also this podcast won't happen. Both of those things are equally equally as important. And so I'm thankful for that. But you talk about it in the book, you talk, you bring up mammon, which is like this huh? uh, this concept that Jesus uses. It's an Aramaic term and huh? it's not like just money, but it's more like the almighty. When I've preached before, I've talked about it like this is like the almighty dollar. Wow. Like it's Completely. the almighty is obviously like a a theological term and we've attached that to money wow. i feel like mammon kind of gets to that ah, it's so but, good so years ago i was uh th- there's this guy he was uh, like a friend and he was trying to make this argument that money is neutral like mm. that money it's just it's neutral and he goes it's just like water in the bible and i was like well Actually, in the Bible, water kind of represents chaos. It's the chaotic force that God uh, overcomes in in creation. Wow. And Jesus speaks and says, "Peace be still." Like Jesus is overcoming water. It is not a a morally neutral force in the Bible. Now, I love to swim. I don't think it's water's out to get me. But right. theologically, in the Bible, it's not morally neutral. Money's wow. not morally neutral. And the same I feel with technology. We are kind of agnostic to the real power that exists within it. Yeah, yeah I am very. I think they're very very. Th- Few things we encounter that are neutral,
1: partly because we live in a world that God actually declared very good once the image yeah. bearers were in it. So, I actually think technology and money actually start out very good. Um, technology more so, because technology is the actual transformation of the world uh, through discovering its uh, inherent properties, which are good, created by God. Money mm. is ultimately just a accounting mechanism, or you know, strictly speaking, a unit of count, store of value, medium of exchange. And so it's, it's kind of secondary. Um, and, and even so, I would say it's good that we have ways to account for value and to exchange value between human beings. Yeah. But the, the witness of the biblical way of thinking is that the very good, the very good world, is precisely the thing out of which the image bearers begin to make idols. And then the idols are not neutral. The idols are actually very bad. (laughs) And then they participate (laughs) in systems which, to which I think we can properly uh, apply the word evil that is implacably opposed to God and the good. And and in this way, I think technology can become an idol and become part of systems that are, are truly damaging. And money, because of its secondary quality, that is, it's not a primary good. It's It should only be a way of counting how much real good you've done. But because of its secondary quality, it more easily gets caught up in this world. That Je- And I think it's why Jesus applies this proper name to it, mammon. Um, yeah. It easily gets caught up in a realm that is truly opposed to what's good for people. And then the other problem is that technology is very driven by mammon uh, to an alarming extent. Not actually yeah. always by what's best for us by but but by what's best for mammon, which is a very yeah. different thing.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean my daughter recently asked me who's the richest person in the world and it's hmm. it's technology people like it's people who are in the forefront Absolutely. of tech and you go well obviously these two things are together and no one's going to say that money is Oh, well, you know, let's not worry about money. Jesus talks about money all the time. And mm-hmm. the technology is a big part of it. Like if you look at the yep. pre-creation in Genesis, when, uh, I did a series on technology, which is basically me adding like three extra Bible verses to your book. <laughs> um, <laughs> but one of those was the the Tower of Babel, which you probably even referenced. Yes. But the idea of the Tower of Babel is in some ways humanity trying to progress and, and moving towards civilization. Like there's this directional point yep. that they're, they're going away from where it was before. And it, it's not neutral. Like the, the, the Tower of right. Babel is not neutral. And we look right. back and we go, you know, everything that's happened in the past is just, is what it is. And, and now we just have technology whereas technology didn't exist in the past. And you're like, well, the history of humanity is that there was one technological advance after the mm-hmm. other, and they're not morally neutral. If you go back 500 years, you get the printing press. religious communities are vastly different now because everyone has their own Bible and the Protestant Reformation doesn't happen without that technological piece of advancement yet we're all like oh technology is always like forward looking and we never acknowledge it in the past and we never acknowledge like this is constantly shaping and affecting us
1: I agree. And actually, you know, that's a good example of something that people will bring up and they'll say, but wasn't that a net good? And, and I think I might say the printing press was a net good. As I would say, actually, a lot of the building blocks of our technological stack today are net good. Um, net good, that is, you know, on net, they, yeah. they are good. Um, but first of all, there's always unintended consequences. And secondly, yeah, to the yeah. extent, and this was not true of the printing press at the beginning, uh, to the extent that, these things are developed and advanced because they serve mammon that is because they generate profit i think what's interesting about technology is that um some things technology does for us also happen to be profitable. So, like music streaming is extremely uh, is extremely profitable for the streaming <laughs> services, not for musicians. Not the musician.
0: Yeah, no, right. No, 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 so not. that's
1: a real issue. But but just at the level of like, can you build an economically viable business on streaming music? Yes, you can. And yeah. is it good that we have access to such an amazing catalog of music? Ah, uh, I suppose it is good. I, I don't have any real objections to that. I pay for Spotify every month. Um, but making music. Is really good for human beings, but it's inherently not very profitable economically because it requires a great deal of preparation and, and practice uh, to develop the skill to make music. It's very communal, it, it's actually very relational in its essence. Like, you need relational support to become a music maker. Um, and it can be done totally outside of the system of money. Like, I can sing with my family without any money exchanging hands, right? Yeah. And even when I go and pay, my, pay like I said, cello in my 40s, when I paid my cello teacher, I mean, that was a very small amount of money. You cannot build a scalable business on instruction and in making music. So mammon doesn't want that to happen and so technology doesn't help it happen and so there's probably more music consumption in the world today than there's ever been we can hear more music than ever and there's Mm -hmm. probably seriously way less music making in the world which is so good for human beings to do individually and together than there's ever been i i just have no doubt we make less music as a people than any human human cohort has ever made that because technology sometimes wants things that are good for us but sometimes it doesn't care and some of the best things that that some of the best things for us it doesn't care about because it doesn't serve mammon, and
0: yeah. that's
1: really the heart of the matter. Is we if we let our lives be kind of shaped by the default settings of technology, which ultimately only advances to the extent it serves mammon's priorities, we are missing out on many of the things that make being human absolutely the most uh, joyful and full and real. So that's yep. the, the heart of the matter to me.
0: No, that and that's the the music component is a, like a, a brilliant illustration. I knew you were going to bring up music because hmm. you hate sports, but you love music. And uh, <laughs> I don't
1: hate sports. I'm not great at sports. But,
0: uh... <laughs> no, we, we, we've had this problem before. But the idea, like, I, I'm listening to music all the time. Uh, like you, when I found out about Spotify, like a decade ago or whenever, yeah. like this was revolutionary. Like all of a sudden the access to music just, just became substantially more and it was amazing. Like I, I love it, but I'm not making music. Most people mm. aren't. And music becomes... Uh, like a, a thing I do while I'm working out or when I'm writing or I'm, while yeah. I'm driving or whatever. And one of my friends who is a musician, my friend Jay, says, there are some musicians who would say you shouldn't listen to music while you're doing something else because then it makes it like just a background thing and you don't yes. really appreciate it. Yes. And like you're doing it like by yourself.
1: Yes. And
0: one of the things that you talk about in the book is like w- there's a crisis right now of loneliness.
1: And wow. in some ways
0: we have bought in to the... Idea that what we get on social media counts as connection. Wow! And we have, in some ways, like been, like we've received part of the medicine, but it doesn't ever bring healing. It's like you, you took a couple <laughs> doses of the pills, but it didn't actually ever like fully do what it's supposed to. And so we have this pseudo relationality, but mm. we're really lonely. Mm. Uh, why do you? Why do you think so much loneliness is going on? From your opinion,
1: the way, I would trace it back to a very fundamental belief that is not part of the whole human history of tool making. Like you, you know, you described in a way, human beings have always made tools in that sense. We've always had technology, but it's a new thing. And it's the idea of impersonal power, power that doesn't require relationship to make a difference in the world. So we modern people, um, partly because of the way we've done science, but also partly because of the way we, what we've done with science, We believe that all kinds of power can happen without any person needing to care or be involved, and without that power needing to care about persons. And this is at the root of the kind of, you could call it the modern naturalistic worldview. Um, And I would would suggest, I, I try to sort of sketch in the book. That once you start building a world around impersonal power, you start to make a world that's very bad for persons. <laughs> hmm. And persons are inherently relational creatures. Uh, you don't become a person or you are not a person without relation with others. It's, it's, uh, it's not something you possess all by yourself in a way. It's certainly not something you can flourish in without others. But more and more, we've built a world that is really good for machines. Um, Mm -hmm. actually, you could put, you know, if you think of the modern world as built on three revolutions, the financial revolution, which started in the 14th century in Italy with the Medici's and their bank, the industrial revolution, which really took off in England in the 19th century, late 18th, early 19th century, and then the computational revolution of the 20th century. You, you build a money that's, a, a world that's good for money, a world that's good for machines, and a world that's good for computers. (laughs) And you multiply all that together, and you get a massive increase in GDP and certain real benefits to human beings, without a doubt. But what you're not doing is building a world that's really good for persons. So if you ask... Um, and everybody is noticing this now, why are we also lonely? Why are we even lonely after we have uh, two decades almost behind us of technologies of relational connection through our screens, you know, yeah. MySpace and Facebook and, and you know, whatever. Why, why is that? It's because none of this was really built paying attention to what helps human beings flourish. <laughs> none of it was built with love as a, like, primary index. Like, it, I mean, it's a little bit of a, uh easy target i guess but yeah when you think about how facebook began which was i'm sorry to say literally a way of rating the hotness of young women in the harvard undergraduate uh, cohorts
0: were you there at that time
1: i had just left uh, i was in campus okay. ministry at harvard in the 1990s and facebook I so think what- was invented at harvard in the early 2000s
0: so you're saying if you would have stayed there facebook never would have happened <laughs> Is is that what I heard you say?
1: I wish. uh, I mean, you know, no. That is not not what I'm saying, because whether I was there or not, Jesus has been there all along. He was there long before I got there. (laughs) He actually stayed after I left, so I heard. uh, And I think, who knows? You know, uh, No, it has nothing to do with me. Um, You you led me down that path, Luke. And and there's no way for me to answer that without sounding egotistical. Even if I say, no, it didn't.
0: (laughs) Um, I don't think there's a way to say that. I was at Harvard without sounding egotistical. I don't know how you can do that. Like it just, it just doesn't happen. Uh, fair, nothing fair but left to my Harvard fair friends. Enough. But but you're saying like Facebook was invented, as we all know, by uh, saying, a way to rank how hot people uh, were. Yeah.
1: So total
0: object- objectification. But even when you look at
1: how the technology is built, now now the good thing about Facebook, the, we, the reason it actually took over social media for a long time. Is it was actually built on this very fundamental thing, which is the human face, which is a really important thing. It's it's the primary medium through which we experience personhood. Even people who are blind, um, when they're being given, ca- when they're infants, they connect with their their caregiver through touching the human face, and their their brain yeah. recreates the sense of the face, even if they can't ever see. So Facebook, you know, that, to its credit, um, built its platform on little you know tiny little icons of a face of someone you knew, but. But then you think about how thin the systems were that provided you a way to connect with those people. So the like button, you know, your friend shares that they've gotten engaged. You hit the like button. Your friend shares some article they found funny. You hit the like button. Then your friend shares like uh, we lost uh, a pet, a beloved pet. And you're like, wait. Do I hit the like button like for that?
0: that? Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and for a long time, it was literally a one bit, you know, on or off. One one single bit of information was yeah, all yeah, it yeah. gave you to, like, respond. Or you can type in the text box. Well, that's like a few bytes, And that has nothing to do with how human beings respond to beautiful news like an engagement, to funny things, and to sad things. Like, Facebook thinned out all of these relationships, redirected them onto this platform, and then, of course, profited from them. So Mammon mm-hmm. did great from this. But did personal relationships actually do great from this? Even after it got past its ranking hotness beginnings, it's still not really responding to what it is to be a human being. and. It it was lacking an understanding of what really creates durable, sustainable, worthwhile relationships. Well, you multiply that by like almost every system in our world is built to be good for money, good for machines and good for computers, but not good for people. And no wonder we walk, we wander through the world and we feel like no one ever sees me. Does anyone know me? Even the people who I wish would know me are kind of shaped or misshapen by all the time they spend on screens. And, so uh, that's why I I think that's the deep underlying reason that our modern world feels so alienated and lonely so much of the time.
0: Yeah. Okay. So you went out to I think it was Silicon Valley. This is maybe 2012 2014. Hmm. You're doing a story on a gentleman out there. Yeah. Um. I oh, I forgot what his name was. Sunny um, Vu. Sunny Vu. Someone I admire Sonny, okay. very much. By the way. Yeah. Okay. And so he is. Uh, he the way i like read the story was this is a guy who kind of patterns himself off steve jobs uh name of his company is kind of an homage to like the famous apple campaign and he's talking to you and he says one of the things that like they're trying to do what was their product again what were they
1: wearable fitness trackers that kind of thing it's called misfit they were acquired by um
0: oh the big watch company Uh, i'm gonna forget the watch company right now Uh, anyway he got they got anyway he's doing well financially after that i can imagine but he says this line to you about um technology promises us to be superheroes or give us superpowers superpowers okay so that stood out to why did that stand out to you so much
1: for two reasons one it felt so right like so sunny i really do admire sunny he's a very thoughtful builder of companies and um so he's not the villain in this story though though i think maybe i I maybe take it in a different direction than he meant it. But when he said people want superpowers and that's what we can give them through technology, I thought, Oh, that's, that's so right. Like technology does give you this sensation that you have transcended the merely human and you're able to do things that, that ordinary humans couldn't do, whether it's know what your heart rate was when you were asleep. Like who has ever known that before? But now my Apple watch will tell me that Sonny's product would tell you that. Um, So you know, deeper knowledge of myself in the world, deeper cap- capabilities in the world in certain ways. But the other reason it actually stuck with me is simply, I st- once I heard it from Sonny, who is a real leading edge kind of person, I then started to see it everywhere. Like it, this yeah. word superpowers, especially in the world of tech, especially Silicon Valley, everywhere you turn, people are like, we'll give you coding superpowers. We'll give you presenting superpowers. We'll give you financial superpowers. And I was like, oh, this is really hitting. Like, this is what we think we're building. And uh, I think it is what we're building. Um, But I have some questions (laughs) about whether it's good for human beings.
0: Yeah, yeah. So Sonny is not the villain. Uh, Zuckerberg is the villain. We've already established (laughs) that. He is the villain. Um, What is the superpower of social?
1: Oh, the superpower of social is you awaken in usually middle school in a sort of typical childhood, I think, or adolescence, to the fact that there's a game. It's the game of status. It's the game of likability. It's the game of influence. And in middle school, before the social media era, you you become aware that there's all these things people think about you that you don't know what they think. And it's very hard to assess really where you are in the game. Even the popular people don't necessarily feel popular. Um, social media gives you legibility and also kind of levers to assess and then trade on your popularity. It gives you mm-hmm. number of likes. It gives you number of followers. It gives you real-time feedback on what kinds of behaviors make you more popular or less. Um, so it's basically low. And, and then it gives you like low friction influence at a distance. So rather than having to be with people to be liked by them, known by them, uh, influence them, you can do that, you know, from your bedroom or wherever um and you can scale it way beyond the dreams of anyone in when i was in middle school um and you're all, all everyone now lives the life of a celebrity in a way like uh someone who's not really known <laughs> uh by a lot of people who nonetheless know about them and who who give them feedback on their popularity and influence and and that's a superpower like you know most people can't do that until very recently so it's social superpowers basically yeah, and so it's, even the popul- it's just clearly all good. I mean, everybody's just so much happier now that they. Have yeah, all we're all happier.
0: The more time you're on Facebook, the happier you become. <laughs> if you get anything from this book, uh, Andy Crouch is telling you: more Facebook equals happier times. Um, you can't be a superhero and remain human. Uh, like anyone who's I mean, watched Marvel knows that. Like you, yes, that's the tension. Like you, exactly. and even DC people. Like you're a little bit sadder and not as happy because you're a DC person over Marvel. But even you, you know, you can't be a super. <laughs> superhero and remain human right
1: or the way i How put do, it is to become super powerful you have to leave something behind uh yeah uh, something essential to your humanity has to be sort of set aside in
0: order to access the superpower exactly yeah, one of one of the superpowers that i love is the ability to listen to things on 2x speed <laughs> and so i'll listen to pot like i will never listen to a podcast at like normal speed and it's just <laughs> who would do that and so some yeah like are you a monster what's going on you have things to do uh come on so i will occasionally like not have my headphones in and so like i'll be cooking and i'll have just my my phone playing like a book or a podcast and it'll be on 2x or maybe sometimes faster than that which i don't want to talk about Mm -hmm. and my wife what is wrong with you why are you like that and i was like i don't know but like i'm consuming content like i'm getting the story i'm catching up so much faster but then the problem is like i'll have a conversation with someone and i want to be like hurry this up Come on, can you talk a little faster? Can you go a little bit faster? And my humanity, like my actual humanity, like I feel it like under attack because I Mm. like the ability to consume things at a pace in which I can. And it destroys Mm. my ability to be a decent person when I'm talking to people.
1: (laughs) Wow, wow.
0: Okay, that that was a little strong. That was a little strong. Like I'm a good person still, but it threatens, threatens. thank you, thank you. Well,
1: it's interesting because I think it might be related. The other thing I thought you're giving up is actually in a way the... um, the ability to be musical because uh, music can't be sped up. Uh, music in, it yep. music is the most patient of art forms in a way because it takes the time it takes. Like I, I taught a song to a congregation just this past week, um, and I you know I timed the verse. I was like, oh okay, so every verse is seventy seconds long uh, in this particular song. And like, if you want to do three verses, it has to take two hundred ten seconds. And the music wait makes you wait. For an idea to play out for an emotion to be felt and i wonder if in a way what you're sensing your your is it under threat is the ability to hear the music of another person's communication not just the information content not just the the facts because yeah the facts you can get really fast but the the music is the pauses the uncertainty the waiting and that's part of conversation that we train you're We might be training ourselves to not be able to tolerate in a way.
0: Yeah, I listened to the uh, podcast that your former employer Christian Today put out about uh, Mars Hill, Mm -hmm. and they would always put a song at the end of this which I thought was like that's a <laughs> yes. real nice piece but I'm listening and it's, marcher's <laughs> marcher's and then all of a sudden the song and it's just like, like I would literally try to like grab my phone and, and slow it go down. back and listen because I, I love like the way they did that but it, the, the song forced me wow. to slow down because I knew intuitively you can't appreciate the song you can't appreciate that art with the level of pace that I appreciate wow. in conversation and it's like yeah. music in some ways like slow me back down
1: yeah wow Wow. And what happens when
0: we don't get much of that? I don't think it's the best. You know, no, it's not good for us. So, the, um, the ultimate superpower is magic. Yes. True or false? We're going with true on that. And the idea of magic is that it works like, for us, without us. Like, it's always working, even if we're not there. And mm. that's kind of underneath this, like, the, the lie, or, I don't know, what, what we're offered with tech, technological advances, that, like, this stuff will make everything work for you without you having to be there. Yes.
1: And without, yes, instant effortless power would be magic. And superpowers are greatly expanded power with greatly reduced effort. So if you, get, like, go to the limit, you get, I mean, ideally, the ability to do anything with no effort. So that would, yeah. and I think that is magic. So I think, in a way, superpower is just a modern name for an ancient dream. Um, and, and, and it is also the ultimate impersonal power because, kind of crucially, though magic requires skill, it does not require character. <laughs> so no one becomes a magician because they're a, yeah. a deeply transformed human being in the ways that maybe matter most uh, in a moral sense or a you know, character sense. You become a magician because you learn the spell. And once you know the spell, it doesn't really matter who you are. You you can be wicked, you can be good, you can be a good wizard yeah. or bad, bad wizards. But the wizards all know the spell. And that dream is, I think. So this really, you know, magic and mammon to me are the two, the two things. They both sound so ancient and sort of uh, distant in a way from our modern secular world, because we don't. We think we don't believe in magic, and then mammon. You know, it's this word from a ancient, ancient language that we don't even speak anymore and refers to these demonic realities that our modern world pretends aren't there. But I actually think they are so present in what's driving why we develop and adopt the technology that we do. And yes, magic, uh, magic's the, the thing. And mammon, oh. to me, is the name of the demonic force that whispers in our ears, if you have me and the stuff that I give you access to, you can do magic.
0: Okay, so... Let's kind of flush this out more. So I, I, I like to wake up. I look at this is me hypothetically. I don't like to look at Facebook, but say you know I wake up. I look at Facebook. Mm-hmm. I check that out. You know I go to work and I'm you know on my computer. I'm going to do some uh, Zoom calls and then I'm going to you know reach out to someone else while I'm driving home. And I'm going to watch TV when I get home. And I'm going to use my dishwasher and I'm going to use my Roomba to clean the <laughs> floors. Um, so I'm using all these pieces of technology. But I don't ever think like, oh, I'm using magic. But where's the, like, right. where's the magic in that sort of like, normal 2022 existence? Mm. So it's
1: in the belief that the more I can exercise instant effortless power, the more I'm really getting done in the world. So the fact that I can reach out to all these people as I drive and multitask and learn all this information really quickly, it's the belief that that's actually enhancing my ability to make the kind of difference in the world that I want to. And um, it also strikes me that that most of what you mentioned, maybe not all of it um, – is very, very tied to a cycle of production and consumption. So it, it, it ties my value in the world very deeply to what I'm able to get done and how much, how quickly. And I I don't, I, first of all, I I think there's a real place for productivity. Uh, and I don't object to, um, efficiency or effectiveness. And, um, I'm happy to automate things that, you know, get things done faster in many domains. um, but uh all that, you know, kind of like turning the podcast up to 2x, all that productivity might be crowding out. <laughs> Let's just suppose might possibly be crowding out other things that are less rewarding because magic's very satisfying to do. So, you know, if I can check instagram which is i'm not on facebook at all
0: but i am still on instagram kind of vestigially uh i still have an account and i will open i it need up. a running count of how many fancy words you use oh, sorry. that would that would definitely be three uh which i'm <laughs> oh, really impressed with there's another one i'm going to go back on 2x speed and write it down so i can learn it okay but you're on there vestibule,
1: something like that um i'm flicking through i'm like seeing all these people they're all like giving me these heightened experiences that they're having because who takes a photo of something that's not a heightened experience, right? Or yeah. at least they filtered it to make it more heightened. Um, and they're all kind of inherently compelling people, which is why I follow them, even if I also consider them my friends. And and the moments I spend on that are taken away in some way from one of two possibilities. The other people who are actually around me, that could be my wife or my children if they're at home, um, or the people in my office, or, or the people on the train. Uh, who I may have no connection to, if I'm on a train to work or whatever, or solitude, right? So, and solitude would be an invitation to be present to myself in a deeper way, perhaps an uncomfortable way. And if if I'm a believer in an ultimate divine reality, present to God. Um, and so, you're trading. You're 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 feeling extremely productive, but you are potentially trading the ability. Uh, And I think sometimes it's very conscious, like, oh, I'd rather not deal with the solitude of being on the train or the other people on the train. I'd rather have something to absorb myself in. But then I'm missing where I actually am. So this is the superpower thing, right? Like, I'm now displaced mentally and imaginatively into another world of my friends who post things on Instagram and it detaches me from whatever opportunities, whatever vulnerabilities are present in this place where I am. And, and I'm very likely to miss out on anything that might be there. Um, no, it's more comfortable and it does get a lot done. And there are times in the day when I need to focus and, and even shut out the world in a way and, and really yeah. focus. But the, but the more you become accustomed to doing magic, I think the harder it is to tolerate in a way the vulnerability of being alone. The vulnerability of being with other people who don't who are not doing instagramable things every moment um and uh, the vulnerability of uh not being in control and not having power yeah. but that's where a lot of the best stuff actually happens in life um is on the other
0: side of that sort of discomfort of vulnerability yeah no that's spot on uh, there's a wisdom that uh the Psalms give us to, uh, to be still and know that I'm God. Yeah. And many of us are never still. Huh. And surprisingly, many of us never know God. And it's just like we, we are always just so busy in the magic of productivity and consumption. It's right there. Do you remember in uh, Dallas Willard's work, he had one line or one phrase that really stuck out a ton, which was incongruent with how much he actually emphasized in his writing. It's the line about vampire Christians. Ooh, where I don't, we want Jesus this. just for his blood. Well, anyway, it's uh, anyway a lot of people have quoted it, um, <laughs> uh, smarter than me, and it's but it's this crazy thing that's it's, it's a footnote in the back of the book where it's not like a, a chapter wow. that he develops. He just has like this throwaway line. It's like <laughs> vampire Christian, so you, you just want Jesus for the blood. You want the rest of him. Oof, y- you have this oh line wh- where you're describing people uh, in an airport terminal. I think you might have been in uh, O'Hare um, yeah, when you're yeah, writing about this, yeah. but you describe that place as the place where everyone wants to be somewhere else. (laughs) Everyone's there, but they want to be someone else. And like, that's so fitting for airports, but in some ways, like that's how, like the, the culture, like that's where we are right now. I don't want to be where I am. So I'm going to get on my phone. I'm going to look at something more compelling and interesting and and prettier and sparklier. And that's kind of, I feel like you just had this line. I'm like, wow, you just said something that was really, really beautiful (laughs) because it accurately describes why I'm grabbing my phone. It's why I'm watching or consuming or trying to be more productive because I don't want to be right where I am. Wow, wow. And I will say part of why we don't
1: want to be where we are is we're in a very, very damaging world for people, for persons. In other words, who would want to be in an airport? Like, it's not like... I mean, even the nice... You know, there's some airports that have been renovated. They're better than they used to be, probably. But... But overall, you know, we're post-COVID in a way uh, now. At least, you know, I'm back to traveling. For a whole year, I didn't get on an airplane once. And when I went back, I was like, oh, airports are way worse than I (laughs) remember. They're they're just such bad places to be a person. but, But in a way, our modern world, which is, again, very good for money, very good for machines, very good for computers. A lot of the time, it's horribly boring. We're not in We're not either in nature with its kind of fractal complexity that just always rewards the senses and the attention, nor are we in a world of either folk culture or high culture, folk culture being just the the ordinary beautiful things that human beings make when you let them loose in the world uh, and give them thousands of years maybe to develop kind of a tradition. Um, Whether it's German beer or, you know, gamelan music in you know, the Himalayas or whatever. Um or high culture, which is the, the the sort of developed capabilities of human beings at very high levels, um, which not all people have always had access to. Um, instead, we're in this world of mass culture that is good for man, and that's why it exists. But it's ultimately not that rewarding. So, of course, you'd take out your phone. Like, you know, if you're in a, a, a market, a, a, a town market in medieval Europe or modern, not medieval, that's not a fair comparison, modern Europe. You are so surrounded, like if you're in the, the city square in Dresden or, you know, downtown, uh, the downtown market in Rennes, France or whatever, mm-hmm. you're surrounded by these beautiful buildings. You're surrounded by people who are your neighbors, some of whom you'll know. You're surrounded by these beautiful stands full of all the produce of the land and all this stuff. You don't, you don't feel like taking out your phone. But when you're in a grocery store waiting in line yeah. <laughs> and you're basically surrounded by tabloids and candy, of course you take out your phone. Like, why would you want to be there? But it's because the whole environment from top to bottom is a technological environment that wasn't designed to be good for you as a human being.
0: Yeah. But even if you think of the comparison is to look at tabloids or to consume sugar, those in, in some ways are like... um <laughs> exactly. they're, they're, they're kind of like an antiquated version of, of our phones anyways. Like It's just <laughs> giving you stuff that's not good for you, Wow! but it feels like something in the moment. And wow. y- you talk about this uh, in the book about how... We've learned to consume things, and you connected this like to drugs, I think, where um, they give us a reward. There, there's like a, yep. a dopamine experience, yep. but we're built to learn the things that give us a real reward, but they take longer to get there, and so we can fast-track that by some of these other ways, which like, I think of those as kind of like medicating, yes. but like, these are things that we have in front of us to get us an instant reward, but we are people who need to develop the reward through like, a long obedience in the same direction. Wow.
1: Yes, exactly. It's this really interesting work um, that that has shown that the addictive substances. Um Hijack not just the dopamine system, I think a lot of us have become familiar with the idea, like they deliver the hit of reward, but they hijack the learning system as well. So, you, you actually, yeah. your body never absorbs the information that this didn't actually make me feel very good. In fact, it made me feel kind of sick. But somehow, the next time around, with some things, like I ate a banana when I was 17 years old that for whatever reason was like the worst taste experience in my life. I don't know what had happened to this banana. But And for 30 years, I didn't need to eat another banana for 30 years, because my body <laughs> learned with one time, my body was like, oh, we are not doing that again, right? Well, but there are these addictive things that, you know, to be honest, I've done them over and over, and at the end, I don't feel better, uh, and yet I don't learn that. I keep going back, right? And all of us have things like that.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's
1: because it hijacks rewards. But, you know, something that didn't make it into the book that I feel sad about, but You know, whatever, you can't put everything in a book. Have to say something for podcast. Um, is there's this other path to, (laughs) there's other path to dopamine, which is the endorphin route. So, endorphins, I think a lot of people will have heard of, are these, um, hormones that are released under stress when the body's under pressure or pain. So, it happens during intensive exercise, happens actually during childbirth for women. Uh, and it's, it's basically the way the body handles, um, you know, strain and pressure. But the interesting thing is after the endorphins flood your body to allow you to manage the pain, just even of just working out really hard or whatever, that, that triggers dopamine. So you feel better at the end of it all, um, You both because you were able to handle the pain more than you thought, and because at the end you get this reward, uh, fundamental reward signal. And I do think, like, it's such a metaphor, like, do I go straight for the dopamine or do do I go for the endorphins and then let the the, the reward come. Like, if you pursue yep. the suffering, you will actually feel genuinely so good on the other side if it's healthy, you know, healthy suffering. Yep. Um, whereas if you pursue the reward, a lot of the time you're you're asking to be hijacked.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, it's like going for that candy bar in the yep. grocery store exactly. line. Compared exactly. Compared to like waiting and actually having a meal that has like yep. healthy stuff in it that are actually going to be nutritious for your body. You talk about in the book... Um, like coming off of like the superpowers and you use the metaphor of like a, a a kid, I assume like other people play video games too, but in my head, it's just a kid mm-hmm. comes off and they're, yeah. oh, I don't want to stop being a NFL quarterback or a, <laughs> right. you know, a Halo, I don't know, video games, like a shooter person. But then like, you, like they're like fighting to come off that. But you compare it, like there's like, in some ways it's like breaking an addiction. Like, cause in a moment yes. you're like addicted to this instantaneous life. Yes. Um, but you compare that to coming out of flow state. Yes. And I, I can't say the guy's name without practicing, I forget it. <laughs> Mihai you probably can though.
1: yes. Mihai yeah, exactly. Mihai.
0: <laughs> yeah, whenever I quote him, I'm like, all right, let me Google this, <laughs> let me guy. get the pronunciation right. But the idea of flow state is like, it takes a lot longer to get there. You, yes. you use the comparison of like yes. uh, uh, riding your bike, I, right? So I'm exercise writing um, for many of us like that's a it's really hard but when you come after like there's a sense of I did something meaningful this is a nutritious use of my time compared to like the instantaneous sort of like fast food way of consuming life with technology unfortunately
1: yeah and I mean I think this gets to maybe something important that I would want to say at least which is I I really believe there's another way available to us that is not Luddite it's not you know smash all the machines or all the computers It's just, we could choose a different way, and we could design our technology to help us choose a different way. Our technology is not well designed to help us right now. How so? Well, I mean, one thing I talk about in the book is there's this whole category of technology called instruments. Uh, So medical instruments, um, musical instruments, scientific instruments. That are super high tech. My wife is a physicist, so she she studies, you know, she does experiments with very, very complicated technology, lasers and dilution refrigerators that get the temperature down to a fraction of a degree and all this kind of stuff.
0: Can I interrupt for a second? Yeah. She comes home from working with lasers for a day. Oh, yes. And you spend your time talking to people like, like me?
1: I was I mean, talking with Luke. <laughs>
0: Yeah, he made some stupid jokes. How are your lasers today? I,
1: anyway, good luck with well, dinner tonight. I'm, I am married up in every possible way, but <laughs> in fact, we both believe what each other does is pretty important, but um, yeah, there is a kind yeah, of a wow. Talking to me is wow just factor. like working on lasers. There's yes, a wow exactly. factor to Catherine's mm-hmm. research, there's no doubt, um, <laughs> but she's using instruments. She's, she's using a whole amazing stack of technology to do the work she does, she and her colleagues do. But not without human engagement. And it's not magic, right? Technology technology is easy. Science is hard. <laughs> but science is done with high tech. Yeah. It's just done by human beings who are like pushing their powers to the edge. And does Catherine, when she's in the lab, experience flow? Absolutely. Just like uh, you would on a bike or you would when you're riding. Um, and it's because it's, it's not displacing her. And it's not saying you can have power without effort. All scientific research is highly effortful in every sense, mentally, heart, soul, even strength, dexterity, and sometimes literal physical strength required to do certain things. And, and we could ask that everything from the automobiles we drive to the way we do um, interaction with, with the computational world would involve more of our heart, soul, mind, and strength than they do. And that would move us more toward instruments. Um, I already try to do this with my smartphone. I have tried. I I am not uh, perfect about this Um, because I still get like on the elevator and I just go to Reddit or one of my other drugs of choice. Um, But um, but I try to ask myself every time I pick it up, is this going to help me engage the world with my heart, soul, mind and strength? And if the answer is no, ideally I would set it down. If they but but often the answer can be yes. It's just that it's not really designed to present that question to me. I have to kind of insert that question in my use of it. But I think we could over time start asking for different kinds of technology that's much more like instruments and much less like what we might call devices.
0: Yeah. Like, there are multiple planes of the human experience. You make the metaphor of uh, this trainer that you went to in the hmm. book where, like, his uh, – like, the the gift that he's given the world is trying to create uh, fitness that models the way that we use multiple – not just forward and back, up and down, but side yeah. to side. all the planes and,
1: of motion. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: all three planes of it, which is – I think there are a lot of people in uh, the fitness community that are, like, pushing more towards athletic training like that compared exactly. to – the hey, machines,
1: do, the, yeah, yeah, like fitness which, machines,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, just a whole moniker for uh, CrossFit is uh, constantly yes. varied functional movement performed at high intensity. Like that exactly. functional movement component is is that, and so use that uh, as an analogical statement to say heart, mind, soul, and strength. Like these four different planes, they all need to be incorporated into the human experience. You can't just do one, two, three. Like it, it has to be all of that. And exactly. sometimes when we buy into the magic of the way that technology presents now, we kind of dehumanize ourselves.
1: Yeah, exactly. And we could change it. Like, you know, for example, this whole thing about screens, screens have become the dominant way we interact with the computational world. But why would it have to be that way? Because when people, for for thousands of years, when people wanted to think, they went for a walk, usually with another person. Yeah. Now, you and I, in order to have this conversation at high fidelity and so forth, we just instinctively know, we get in a quiet environment, we turn on a screen to, for the, you know, recording interface, yeah. and we sit very still. But, but what if we design technology, like just you can think of certain layers that would be needed. Like you'd need really good noise rejection, right? So that so that you could somehow get a good recording other people could listen to. What if we did, what if like just one of the basic things was we can't, can't possibly have a good conversation unless we're out in nature on a walk. And so. Oh, that would be so great. Right? It would be such a great podcast. It, it would. Now, the truth is we probably, if we worked really hard, we could probably make it happen even now. Like we could probably figure out the right noise reduction yeah. algorithms to apply in post-production or whatever. And we yeah, could yeah, just yeah. agree, we're going to do this a different way. And you, even if we were in different places, you'd head out on your walk, I'd head out online. But yeah. the point is, the whole stack is designed to have us sitting down um, kind of neglecting our bodies for the duration of the conversation and missing out on what would happen if we were actually moving through the world. Well, we could say, I'd like to redesign that, please. Or when I'm in my home and I need to Get some information or be productive in some way. What if we rebuilt it all around? For example, the human voice. And I know there's attempts at this, but right now the default is you go to a screen, and it's because we've neglected. We've done what's easy for the computer (laughs) and the computer designers. It's partly limits of our technology. But what if we dreamed of heart soul mind strength all the time? Sorry, we've done what's
0: no, we've done what's easy for the computer. Like Uh, if that's not a damning statement that is an accurate indictment on the powers and principalities of this age i don't know what it's like we've done what's easy for the screen and the computer and and we've missed the you know personal connection that's brilliant that's brilliant uh okay the book uh the life we're looking for uh i think it's going to come out a week after i post this so everyone go pre-order this book it is absolutely brilliant Uh, I think I said this before we started recording but in some ways this is like the philosophical background for like the very practical previous books that you've written and like I found it deeply moving if you're a part of uh, our church Westover um, you don't just pre order you don't have to read it because I'm going to regurgitate half of this stuff in sermons (laughs) at some point in the future and I want you to think that I came up with this all by myself so uh, you know support Andy but uh, just don't read it because I'm going to steal it Andy I you're in New York today uh couple years ago my wife and i went to new york um Mm. and i'm i'm not really like a like a broadway kind of guy and Mm. so i i reach out to a buddy of mine jonathan who is he's always posting oh i'm at this play whatever blah 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 i said all right give me something that's not so much singing but it's like broadway and so he sends me to a musical which seems to be like high amount of singing not like (laughs) the opposite of what i asked for and afterwards i felt like really cultured and like i was fancy and smart because i experienced that that is how I feel after this conversation. You used a bunch of words which I didn't know and I feel like you ele- elevated my erudition and I'm deeply grateful for that, Andy. There wasn't too much there
1: weren't any long ballads or like show stopping <coughs> tunes in this though.
0: <laughs> and not much have. dance. We didn't do a lot well, of dance. Well, you know next time when we figure out how to do this it's not easy for the screens, we're going to be dancing, I guess. Uh it's you can be, be on your Broadway, bike or baby. We-
1: Hey, I'm let's, two blocks from Broadway right now. Let's okay, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's make Li- it happen. Live is the best. Live is the best.
0: <laughs> Deal. Sounds like a good plan. Andy, thanks for the time, man. Thank you, Luke. This was great.